This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Amen. That's a great song. Uh, as we are going to see the Trinity so clearly in our text today, <clears throat> new series uh, today. Uh, it is going to be exciting. We are going to walk through some key text in Luke's gospel over the next few months, and we're calling this series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And so what we're going to do over these next few months as we lead up to Easter and even beyond Easter probably for a bit, is that we are going to walk through the gospel of Luke and just week by week be encountered by the person of Christ. Tell me the story of Jesus. It's all about him. And so we're going to begin today in Luke chapter 3. So during Christmas time, we, we read a lot in Luke 1 and 2. The, the birth narrative in Luke is the most expansive of the four Gospels. And so we just came through Christmas, and so we're going to start out in chapter 3 this morning. Chapter 3, Luke 3, and verses 1 through 22. And so turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, and, um, and so we're going we're gonna to read that. Um, I'm going to be using the, the CSB, the Christian Standard uh, Bible, and, um, and so you have got an opportunity. If you want to take, if you're new, you can take notes. The outline is on the, the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along in that way. Uh, but let's, let's look at this text together from Luke chapter Chapter 3, when heaven opened. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Etura and Traconius, and Lysaeus, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of of God, that he said to the crowds who had come out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The ax is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What then shall, should we do? The crowds were asking him. He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food must do the same. 
tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He told them, don't collect any more than what you've been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? He said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were waiting expectantly and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Then along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done, Herod added this to everything else. He locked up John in prison. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in physical appearance like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for your word. And as we walk through this gospel and just see the story of Jesus as it unfolds, we pray that you would bring us into this story. That you would bring us into this story in our lives because the story continues as people encounter Christ and you work in people's lives through the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, would you do beautiful things in our lives as we walk through Luke together in these coming months? And would you begin that today? And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I've shared with you guys before, I think, but one of the greatest gifts that my mom gave me when I was small was that she would read stories to me. And I loved nothing more than that time each day when I could crawl up in her arms and be enthralled by a good story. And she would read some true stories, she would read some fictional stories. Well, Luke writes in a way that a fast-paced way that's characteristic of the best fiction. But it's not fiction. It's all true. As New Testament scholars N.T. Wright and Michael Byrd put it, Luke is the literary artist of the New Testament. He writes in very elegant and well-polished Greek. The scope of his work is truly epic.
What we are going to see in Luke is the story of the Savior. It's all about Jesus. And that is a story that we need to hear as followers of Christ again and again and again. And that is also the story that we need to be telling in a world that is lost and broken and has lost its way. The story of Jesus. Think about the dream that the Apostle Paul had one night. The Bible tells us that uh, he and the other missionaries were in a place called Troas. And one night, the Apostle Paul went, went to bed and God, God gave him this dream, this vision. And, and, and in this vision, there's this man over in Macedonia, which was right across the water from where they were. And, and Paul has this dream, this vision of this, this Macedonian man that is pleading for help. And we read about it in Acts 16. Let's check it out. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The vision was of this man, this Macedonian man, pleading for help. Come over to Macedonia and help us. What kind of help was he talking about? They needed to hear the story of Jesus. These people desperately needed to hear the story of Jesus. He was pleading, come over and help us by telling this story of good news that you know. You know, in so many ways, our broken culture is crying out for help. We live in a broken world where people are crying out for help. And a lot of times, they don't really know exactly what they're crying out for. They may just be crying out in pain. But ultimately what they need and what is going to bring new life and healing to them is the story that we possess as God's people. It's the story of Jesus. That's what people need to hear from us. The lost people of this world, are, are, they're not going to be helped by angry political rhetoric coming from us. They are not going to be helped by us giving them self-righteous lectures about how to get their act together, straighten up and fly right. What changes lives and what changes cultures is the story of Jesus. That's what people need to hear from God's people. That's the story that we have been given and we need to hear that story again and again and again ourselves to encounter Christ. And that's the story that we need to be telling. Because through that story, the power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed. The Holy Spirit is unleashed 
as we speak of Jesus, as we tell people the story of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit changes lives and changes cultures. And that's the story that we need to be telling. But in order to tell it, we need to know it well. So, Luke begins by wanting, helping us to understand that this story is grounded in history, in things that actually happen. So the first thing that we see here is that it's a story of real events. I want us to notice how Luke begins his gospel. As we look back to the very first couple of verses in the gospel of Luke, in, in Luke 1 and 2, he says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So Luke wants us to understand from the outset that the story he's getting ready to tell is a story that is a story of real events that happen in real space and time and that are corroborated by eyewitness evidence. Now, that's very important to understand because it kind of tells us what Christianity is and what Christianity is not. Christianity is not a philosophy. It is not a spiritual religious program for self-improvement. It is not good advice. Christianity is good news. Good news about things that actually happened and that can actually change our lives today if we will step into the story. So Luke is at great pains from the very beginning of this gospel to help us understand that this is a story of real events. Now let's look at the first couple of verses here in chapter three. He's talking about who was Caesar at this time. He's talking about who was governor at this time, who these tetrarchs were, who was high priest at this time. Why? Because Luke, again, is making the point that what he's talking about is something that happened in real space and time. Real events grounded in, in history. This is a mind-blowing, life-changing story that happened in real time. And it's a story that we can step into and that will change our lives. But it's a story of real events. Second, he's talking here in chapter three about the ministry of John the Baptist. And so we pick that up beginning at the latter part of verse two. Look at the latter part of, of verse two. He says, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now we've got three 
key words here, right? Baptism, forgiveness, repentance. You know, in our in, in American Christianity, we have kind of so watered things down that repentance is not even a part of a lot of presentations of the gospel. But when Jesus begins to preach the good news of the gospel, what is the first thing that he says, according to Mark chapter 1 and verse 15? The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So to repent means to change your mind. And that change of mind leads to a change in direction. Uh, you know, by default, we go our own way. You know, we are, we, are, uh, we, are, we are kind of behind the wheel and we are driving toward the city of sin. <laughs> To repent means to turn around, put the city of sin in the rearview mirror, and we're heading towards the city of God. And repentance brings refreshing. Luke is going to tell us in Acts 3, in verses 19 and, and 20. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Repent, turn, turn around. Turn from going your own way, turn from sin and self. Turn to Jesus and believe. It means to trust him. Does it just mean kind of believe intellectually in your head? It means that you place your life in his hands that you trust him, you trust in his finished work for you on the cross, the fact that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. And it means that you give him your loyalty, your allegiance as your savior, your Lord, your king. Repent and believe and when that happens, there's what? Forgiveness, there's forgiveness of sins. A new, a new beginning, the slate is wiped clean. New life, new beginning, born again. Sins, past, present, and future wiped out. Times of refreshing, coming from the presence of the, the Lord. Now, when we repent and believe, one of the first steps that we're to take as new followers of Christ is to be baptized. And so we see here that, that John is doing a, a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, baptisms of a kind had happened before John the Baptist, but they were, they were different. The great Lucan scholar, uh, Daryl Bach, says this, while most Jewish washings were self-administered, John performed these baptisms suggesting their uniqueness. They appear to function as a way of declaring a person's readiness for a new era as the one being baptized submits to a washing that pictures cleansing from sin. Cleansing. I think about uh, Laura Hillenbrand's a beautiful book, Unbroken, which tells the story of 
of Louis Zamperini, track star who was in the 1936 Olympics. And, and then, as a pilot, he was shot down over the Pacific in World War II and captured as a POW, uh, kept in a POW camp for, uh, for a few years and sadistically tortured by one of the guards that he and the other POWs referred to as the, the bird. And Louis made it through that and he, he came back to his hometown of Los Angeles, but he came back wounded, broken, broke, wounded and broken on the inside. He was suffering from PTSD and, and alcoholism. Uh, he, he had met a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful girl, Cynthia, who became his wife. And, um, but their marriage was unraveling because his life, his life was, was unraveling and just a nightmare of, of alcoholism. And just, he was, he was broken and, and they were desperate. And Cynthia... Uh, heard about this uh, tent that had been put up in downtown Los Angeles this is 1948. It was the Billy Graham crusade that, you know, nobody had ever heard of Billy Graham before this point in time. But they pitched a tent in downtown Los Angeles, and so she, she was desperate, and she went. And her whole life was changed, and she wanted Louis to go, and so she, she, she encouraged him, and he went, and he, he met Christ that night, and she was so blown away, she didn't know what to think. And Laura Hillenbrand tells us what, what happened next. Listen to this. Cynthia kept her eyes on Louis all the way home. When they entered the apartment, Louis went straight to the, his cachet of liquor, it was a time of night when the need usually took hold of him, but for the first time in years, Louis had no desire to drink. He carried the bottles to the kitchen sink, opened them, and poured their contents into the drain. Then he hurried through the apartment, gathering packs of cigarettes, a secret stash of girly magazines, everything that was a part of his ruined years. He heaved it all down the trash chute. In the morning... He woke feeling cleansed. For the first time in five years, the bird hadn't come into his dreams. The bird would never come again. Louis dug out the Bible that had been issued to him by the Air Corps and mailed home to his mother when he, he was believed dead. He walked to Barnsdall Park where he and Cynthia had gone in better days and where Cynthia had gone alone when he'd been on one of his benders. He found a spot under a tree, sat down, and began reading. Resting in the shade and the stillness, Louis felt profound peace. When he thought of his history, what resonated with him now was not all that he had suffered, but the divine love that he believed had intervened to save him. He was not the worthless, broken, forsaken man that the bird had striven to make of him. In a single, silent moment, his rage, his fear, his humiliation and helplessness had fallen away. That morning, he believed he was a new creation. 
new creation. Now that's what Luke is talking about in verses four through six. Let's look at them together. These beautiful words from Isaiah. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare, <clears throat> prepare the way <clears throat> for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled <clears throat> and every mountain and hill <clears throat> will be made low. <clears throat> the crooked will become straight. The rough ways smooth and everyone will see the salvation of God. So, this is a quote from the 40th chapter of Isaiah. And the imagery here is of obstacles being removed. It's, it's of obstructions Obstructions and obstacles being removed and a, a straight highway to God that is being opened up. Now, think about the Exodus. What happened in the, in the Exodus? You had the people who had been delivered from slavery in Egypt and then they get to the edge of the sea and what does God do? He removes the obstacle. He opens it up. He parts the waters so that people can walk through on dry ground. They pass through the waters. The waters standing in a heap on both sides and the obstacle is removed. They pass through the waters. Now, what's happening with John the Baptist? God is delivering people. He's delivering them, saving them, and then what happens? They're passing through the waters of baptism. And it's a picture of God's deliverance today, right? God saves us. God delivers us. And one of our first steps as new followers of Christ is baptism. Passing through the waters of baptism as people who have been delivered Look at verse six, because we see here in verse six, uh, some, one of the special themes of Luke beginning to come out. It says, and everyone will see the salvation of God. So maybe more than any other gospel, Luke brings out the expansiveness of God's missionary heart. That this salvation is for all people, it knows no ethnic boundaries, no racial boundaries, right? It's for every tribe and tongue. It knows no social boundaries. Another theme that we're going to see coming out again and again in Luke's gospel is, is God's heart of compassion for, for people who were viewed as worthless people in the eyes of the world, but who were precious in the sight of God the broken, the outcast, the hurting. Everyone, everyone will see the salvation of God. Everyone is invited to step into this story. 
Let's look at the preaching here of John the, of John the Baptist in verses 7 and 8. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us that John is a very, he's a rough and raw, like he wore a garment of camel hair and, you know, he ate locust and, you know, he's a very edgy kind of raw uh, character and that's reflected in some of these words, right? In verse 7, he refers to him as a brood of vipers. You know, he starts talking about the wrath of God and then what does he say here in verse 8? He says, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. Fruit consistent with repentance. I think um, the, first, the first album that I ever bought was Boston's first album with the hit song, More Than a Feeling. John wants you to understand repentance is more than a feeling. It, it results in fruit. There's real change. Now listen, sometimes... You know, in American Christianity especially, we need, we need to get past this. Because so many times, you know, I'll hear about some, you know, people, somebody will make a, make a profession of faith, you know, but then there's like, there's no fruit in their life. There's no change. There's, there's no evidence. There's no evidence of, of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. You know, and sometimes I'll hear people say, oh, you know, but... You know, they made a profession, you know, they walked the aisle, they raised their hand in vacation Bible school years ago or whatever, and we can put a false confidence in that. And we can give people a false confidence that they're saved when they're not. Listen, when salvation has occurred, when, when true repentance has occurred, there is fruit. There is fruit. When the Holy Spirit has entered your life. There is fruit. There is change. There is fruit that is consistent with repentance. And, 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 and part of that fruit is how we treat other people, which is what he's talking about here in verses 10 through 14. Uh, look at verses 10 through 14. The, the, they said, what then should we do the crowds were asking him. He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. The one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He told them, don't collect any more than what you've been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? He said, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. So the material here in verses 10 through 14 is not in any other gospel. It's unique to Luke. And there are several things that we need to take note of here, okay, from verses 10 through 14. First of all, who is doing the asking? Who are the people that are really interested in this message? Who's coming and asking these questions? It's outsiders. It's people like Roman soldiers who were Gentiles, pagans. It's people like tax collectors who were Jews, but they were considered the lowest of the low. Notorious, lowlifes, 
It's the crowds. It's not, it's not the elites. It's not like, it's not like the, the, the good people. It's not, like the, it's not like the super religious good people that are coming and inquiring. It's, it's the outsiders. That's a theme that we're going to see throughout Luke's gospel. Um, second, what are they asking? What must we do? That's key. Jesus is going to say in, in, in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Real repentance results in a change in action, what we do. And specifically here in verses 10 through 14, John is stressing it's a change in the way that we treat other people. How does John respond when they say, what must we do? He responds by, telling, by, by talking about things that, 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 that go to the heart of how you relate to and treat other people. In other words, when real repentance has taken place, there's going to be love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You see, we're going to meet some people, and Jesus is going to meet some people in this gospel that are religious but mean. You ever met any mean religious people? If you followed me around for 31 years as a pastor, you'd have met plenty of mean religious people. They're out there. Well, Jesus has got a word for people who are religious but mean. They're lost. They're lost because they don't have the love of God in their hearts. And the, and the tragedy is that they, they're lost and they don't know they're lost. It's one thing to be lost. It's another thing to be lost and not know you're lost. When you're lost and you don't know you're lost, man, you're lost. I mean, you're as lost as you can be. John wants us to understand that, 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 that coming to know God, that turning to him in, it is going to impact the way that you treat other people. It's gonna result in love. If you have the love of God in your heart, that, then you're going to be able to treat other people with love. The absence of love is indicative of the absence of God in our lives. Now let's look at verses 15 and 16 because we see another, another of Luke's main themes here. Now the people were waiting expectantly and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of the sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In, in Acts 2, Luke is going to talk about the fire of the Holy Spirit coming at the day of Pentecost. And this is a theme, especially 
in the Gospel of Luke, probably more than any other Gospel, it's a, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we run from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we as Baptists, you know, maybe we've seen people who are, you know, doing and saying things that are, uh, we, are abuse, abuses of the Holy Spirit. And what can happen is we can throw out the baby with the bathwater and we can run from the Holy Spirit. That's the last thing we want to do. Friends, we need the Holy Spirit to fall in our lives. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit to fall in our lives. We cannot live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we don't want to overreact and become so afraid of wildfire that we run from the fire. Because I want to tell you, we need the fire. We need to draw near to the fire. We need the fire to fall on us. And again, this is one of the main themes that we'll see in the Gospel of, of Luke is the fire of the Holy Spirit. All right, let's take a look at the baptism of Jesus here in verses 21 and 22. So look at the beginning of verse 21. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. Now maybe you wonder, why was Jesus baptized? I mean, baptism was a sign that somebody was repenting. Jesus had nothing to repent of. He had no sin. So why was he baptized? Well, the answer to that is seen here in, this, in the very words that Luke uses here in verse 21. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. You see, Jesus came to save sinners and he is identifying. He's identifying with the people that he came to save. Michael Card puts it this way in his book, Luke, The Gospel of Amazement. He is not repenting. He is identifying. It is the first step toward an eventual death on the cross. Here with John, he submits to a baptism of repentance for sins he never committed. On Golgotha, he will die for sins he never committed so that he can forgive each and every sin. Listen. There is one who came to identify with you and you will find your identity in him. Jesus came to identify with you and you will find your identity in him. Now let's continue walking through the latter part of verse 21, 22. As he was praying, heaven opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Notice first of all the Trinitarian nature of this text. We sung about the Trinity earlier. We see all three persons of the Trinity here in the baptism of Jesus. What's happening? The son is being baptized the Spirit is, is fluttering down and the Father's voice is speaking from heaven. 
you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Notice here the the father's affirmation of Jesus. As he's being baptized, he's getting ready to embark on his public ministry. It's this beautiful affirmation. You, You are the son that I delight in. I love you. You are the one in whom I delight. Uh, Just on a side note, listen, there's a word here. Parents, if you've got kids in the home, your kids need to hear words like this coming from mom and dad. Don't be ashamed to look them in the eye and tell them, listen, I am well pleased with you. I, I delight in you. You are the one that I love. They need to hear that. But you know what? Whether you ever heard those words coming from your parents or not, if you were in Christ, your heavenly Father speaks these words over you. you say, how so? He's speaking these words over Jesus. But see, if you were If you're a follower of Christ, you are in Christ. You are united to Christ. And when the Father looks at you, he sees his son. He sees Jesus because you are united to Jesus. And so if you are in Christ, listen, God has adopted you. The Father has adopted you as a beloved son or daughter. And he loves you, and he accepts you as his child. Not not based on your performance, which is always imperfect, but based on the perfect performance of his son, who lived the perfect life that you could never live and died for your sins on the cross. And see, as a follower of Jesus, as one who is in Christ, you're united to Christ. And the Father looks at you, And he sees Christ. He sees the merits of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, which has been credited to your account. And so listen, the Father delights in you as his child. Sometimes as Christians, you know, we we think we can be guilty of thinking hard thoughts about God. No, no, no. If you're in Christ, the Father has taken you in He has adopted you as his own. And he loves you the way that he loves Jesus. Because you are are in Christ. And when he looks at you, he sees his son. And he loves you. And he delights in you. Now that is something that every person is invited to. But the question is, are you in Christ? Have you repented and believed in Jesus? Turn to him today. Whether you're here in this room, you're watching the video today or at some point in the future, turn to Jesus. Repent, turn from doing life your own way apart from him. Change direction, change your mind about where you're going. Turn and trust in Jesus. Turn to Jesus and trust him. Say, Lord, I believe that you died for my sins. 
I believe that you rose from the dead and right now I'm giving my life to you. My savior, my Lord, my king, my life is in your hands. I'm turning from going my own way. I'm turning to you and trusting you and receiving you as my savior and Lord, my king. Listen, that invitation is for you today. Turn to Jesus and trust him. As a follower of Christ, we're called to a mission. We're called to go forth and to tell the story of Jesus. Who's your one? Who are the people in your life, in your friend group, in your family, the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, that are lost, unchurched, that need to hear this story? Are you telling them the story of Jesus? Are you praying for the Spirit of God to work in their lives and open their hearts? And are, are, you, are, you, putting, are you putting actions to your prayers by loving them and loving them enough to tell them about the only story that can save them? We need to act on that. Get beyond good intentions. Make that phone call. Sit down with that person. And when you begin to open your lips and you begin to tell the story of Jesus, what you experience is that the Holy Spirit empowers you and gives you words. And the Holy Spirit is unleashed through this story. This is what a lost world needs to hear from us. And this is the mission of our church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing true story that changes lives. And Lord, it's changed many of our lives. And Lord, you've given us this story as a stewardship to go and tell others. Lord, make us faithful to do that. And Lord, would you encounter us in the power of the Holy Spirit as we walk through the Gospel of Luke together. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Listen, if you're here today and you need to talk with someone more about Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And if the Spirit of God is dealing with your life today, and you want to talk with one of us as pastors, we'll, we, we will be here for you. Just come share what God is doing in your life. Or maybe, you know, you need to take the step, say, I'm a follower of Christ, never been baptized. You know, and, and, and so, we, listen, just, just share that with us. We would love to set up a day for you to be baptized as a follower of Jesus Maybe you just need to come pray with someone or come pray at the altar, right? It's always open for you to, to do that. We're going to stand and, and sing that chorus, Spirit of the Living God, fall fresh on me. Let's make that our prayer this morning as we stand and sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. 
I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 